Our hearts are ready, so let's take our Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. We'll begin a series in this book. We looked at the passage on temptation last Sunday morning. And today we're going to take the first 12 verses, a very challenging passage of Scripture. And then I encourage you about tonight's service because we'll be once again right back in this book. And I believe that the Spirit of God is going to challenge us. There's something very evident about this church. We are not interested in just going to church. We are interested in being the church. We are more than just a come-and-see congregation. We believe in living this out every day, that we are called to be the people of God. We are called to be the church. Thank God for a building. Thank God for property. Thank God for a meeting place. But here we just come to be challenged in our worship, to be encouraged by the Word of God, to be transformed in the process of sanctification so that we can go out and continue to be who God has saved us to be. That is the calling upon us. And no one uh, challenges us about faith, our Christianity, and our action like James. He says, listen to the Word and then go and do it. It is such a challenge of the Word. He's going to talk to us about sickness, poverty, justice, prayer, healing. He covers it all. He talks about reaching out to those around us right here in Broken Arrow. He talks about reaching across the world. We know that the light that shines brightest or farthest has to shine brightest at home. So we're going to have to be the people of God in order to do the work of God. There is a great work that God has called us to do. So I want us to be challenged by this incredible book. Look at verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. James was the half-brother of Jesus, a prayer warrior, a dedicated follower, an influencer among the Jewish believers, and a man that's going to influence our lives. In this book, he talks about our faith over 14 times. And then he follows it with obedience 59 times in 108 verses. He says, take action on what you believe. So once every two verses, James is saying, hear it and then do it. Don't just listen. Put it to work. Apply it. Let's not just be people who take in the word. Let's let the seed of the word be planted and grafted in our hearts until it changes us. And we are more like the Lord. James will challenge us. On so many areas. Today it's about our trials. Verse number two says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come, when they come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'll read all the rest of the verses, but skipping down to verse 12, I want to show you how he bookends this passage of Scripture. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. The word trouble is used in verse 2, it's also used in verse 12. In between those two bookends, he talks about what we learn when we go through trouble. He talks about our trouble being under a sovereign God, and therefore it can work the purposes of God. Therefore, I can learn to even consider it joy when I am in a trial. This is not an easy message, but it's a needed message. There's so much theology on prospering. We need a theology on adversity. We need a theology of suffering. We need to know how to handle the valleys as well as the mountaintops. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have some trouble. So I want to know how to navigate the trouble and learn what I need to learn in the trouble 
so that Christ is formed in me and I'm a greater light shining in the darkness as a result of receiving spiritual growth in the trouble, turning adversity into the breakfast of a spiritual champion. Oh, it should be stronger. I'm talking about in the presence of our enemies, he prepares a table before us. Hallelujah. Let's take a look at verse number 3. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. That will be the focus of the message, but I want you to see the important truths that we see from verse 5 to verse number 9. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. He's telling us when we need wisdom to ask him. Wisdom is composed of knowledge, perspective, and experience. If we had more knowledge, a greater perspective, and more experience, we could make wiser decisions. No matter where I am in life, there will be knowledge I lack, perspective that is narrow, and experience that is still short of what I need. So God says, turn to me, a God of all knowledge, a God of eternal perspective, a God of infinite experience. He has it all. He's the same. He sees yesterday, today. He sees tomorrow. He sees forever. He has the experience, the perspective, and the knowledge. So I ask him. And so in trouble, I learn to trust in the wisdom of God. This is an important word for people who are taught to be self-made and to rely on our own ability, talent, knowledge, all of our resources. This word teaches us that in trouble, let it draw us near to God because it's the wisdom of God that gives us the the direction that we need. And then there's a, there's a random part of the passage, but it makes sense when we see it in the context. Look at verse number nine. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse number nine. Believers who are poor have something, have something to, to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich fade away with all of their achievements. So we're in this, this message on trouble, and he tells us we need to trust in his wisdom, not our own. And then we get this part on poor people and rich people. And in the context, we learn that it is trouble that levels the playing field. Because no matter how much you have or how little you have, it is not your resources that will provide your way out of the trouble. It is the resources of God. So whether you have a lot or have a little, to both we are called to rely on the resources of God. For David said, he is my deliverer. So I'm saying in this American culture where there is a gospel that teaches us 
to look to all that we have. It's not about us, and I can't save myself or deliver myself. I've got to rely on the resources of God. I don't care what you have or don't have. You can't insulate yourself enough. If you isolate, trouble will still find you. David said, if I rise to the highest place or descend to the lowest place, God is there, and I've got to rely on his resources. That's what we learn in trouble. And then finally, verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So in trouble, I trust his wisdom, rely on his resources, and remember there is a day coming where I will be in heaven and rewards will be given out. I will be given this crown of life. And don't think of the gem-studded crown. When it talks about the crown of life, it's speaking of the full, abundant eternity. The eternity of, of pure righteousness, holiness, joy, no weeping, sorrow, pain, dying. There, there are no limitations over there. We are delivered to a place that is perfect. It is the place God has prepared for us. So in suffering, I remember there's coming a day when suffering will be no more. So it's an incredible passage of Scripture. But my focus today takes us back up to verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. The goal in trouble is to grow in his likeness. Capture that. That's the key. If my goal is comfort, I'm going to live frustrated when trouble comes. I'm going to have an anxious heart. I'm going to worry. I'm going to be stressed out. If my goal is comfort, if my goal in the trouble is to just fix it so that it's over, then I'm going to live with a a low-grade frustration or a high-grade frustration, and I might even turn down bitter street because I don't understand why and why me. However, if my goal is to be formed in his likeness, if my goal is God, then God can use the trouble to bring about his purpose of maturity in my life. We have to be delivered from this desire and pursuit of comfort. Throughout the scripture, God never calls us to pursue comfort. He calls us to pursue Christ's likeness. And in that Christ likeness, I learned that in the good times or the bad, God uses them in the mixture, in the ingredients of my life to bring about spiritual growth. It gives me a whole new perspective when I see this passage. That's how I consider it, how I can consider it an opportunity for great joy. I've struggled with this passage over the years. Other versions say, consider it pure joy. When you are in trials. You know, how can you do that? How can we wrap our natural mind around such a passage that tells us to to consider it joy when the storm is raging and when the trouble has has broken out in our lives? Because Christ's likeness is my goal. And if God can use it to bring about his purpose, then there's joy even in trouble if it's bringing out the purpose of God. Trials are joy when God is our goal. That is an important word. That is a needed word. God help us to live that. Most of the seasoned saints we talk to, 
will tell us that their spiritual growth and their maturity came through the tough times. It wasn't when times were easy. It's when times were tough. Now, I want to process with you this whole idea of going through some trouble and our perspective of it and how to navigate uh, with this sense of spiritual growth. I want you to consider with me the life of Joseph. Joseph, Joseph had a dream. Then he was placed in a pit. Then he was put into slavery. From slavery, he goes into Potiphar's house, but he prospers in Potiphar's house. But then he is falsely accused, after which he is placed into prison. And then finally, he is promoted to second in command of all the nation. So I want to look at the flow of his life. God gives him a dream. We would say that that is positive, right? Then his brothers, they don't like this dream. And they take Joseph and they throw him in a pit. That would be negative. You have a positive and a negative. Okay? They go back and tell his dad that he's dead. He's in a pit. At least they come under enough conviction that he's in a pit. So they get him out of the pit and they sell him off into slavery. That would be what? Definitely. Then he gets into Potiphar's house and he prospers. So we'll call that positive. But then he is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And so that would be. And then he is placed into prison. And that would be. Finally, he is promoted to second in command of all the nation. And he lives out the destiny of God. Which would be. Look at the rhythm. Look at the flow of his life. Positive, negative, negative, positive, negative, negative, positive. Joseph is an Old Testament type of Christ. I don't think he would be that example unless God was his goal. I think he's a a living example of James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Because he navigates this season of his life To where we see even in the negative times, he keeps a great attitude. Even in prison, he rises up to be the administrator. It's just amazing. He continues to care about other people. And that's why uh, when one person gets out of prison, they say, hey, there's a guy in prison that can interpret the dream for the king. And the whole thing navigates until Joseph is second in command of all the nation. He's living the dream that God gave him. It's just amazing. I I, I want us to see this because if we don't, we may get into the season of trouble and because our pursuit is comfort and not God, we give up. We live frustrated and we miss our moment. We miss the destiny. We miss the intersection of the divine work of God because we were pursuing a life of ease rather than a life of Christ-likeness. Can we talk today? Let's, let's, work, let's work through this. Uh, first of all, consider with me how the Bible says that all things work together for good. All things, plural, not individually, because, you know, if you just take being thrown in the pit, there's nothing good about that. 
There's nothing about being sold into slavery by your brothers. There's, there's something positive about prospering in Potiphar's house. But if you take this ingredient and this ingredient, just in and of themselves, it's no good. Last night, we were having fellowship with a family in our church, and uh, the lady made French silk pie. That will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I don't know everything that goes into French silk pie, but I know, let me just, there are eggs. Oh, God, help me, because I really don't know what goes in it. There's sugar, there would be some butter, and there would be some, what, is there flour? No? Cocoa? All right, let's just stop there, because I'm in, I'm in trouble ground there. So, anyway, if you just take these nasty raw eggs in and of themselves, horrible. If you just take spoons of sugar, can't do it. Stick of butter, no way. I know some of you were watching the ball game and you saw they were frying butter. I'm just telling you, that right there, uh-uh. Nope, nope, just nasty, just stick of butter. Who would want that to just drink cocoa? Nope. But you put all of these together and you put them in the oven and you heat that oven to a, a really high temperature and over time, you come out with something that would make you want to go bear hunting with a switch. <laughs> it is just like heaven. It is like, wow. It's a conversion experience. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're working on your cholesterol level, we just sang about heaven. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to stay here any longer than you have to. Enjoy some French silk pie and go on and see Jesus. Anyway. I had one man in my, my Pine Bluff church. He said, Pastor, I ain't, there are two ways I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die hungry or tired. And he slept and ate all the time. And he died. So, anyway. So, you, you, you see all, all the things together. You take the positive, negative, negative, positive, negative, negative, positive, And you take all things and it works together for the good. You can't take a snapshot of your life. And try to define your life by a moment or a day or a season. You, you define your life by God being the goal and Christ's likeness being the pursuit. And that way you can process through those ingredients, days, moments, seasons of life that are adverse. Putting them together in the scope of your life. And you are going to be all that God has created you to be. I was going through the airport recently and I saw in one of the bookstores that you, you see there in the corridors of, a, of an airport, Alan Alda's uh, biography. And it had the most interesting title. The title of his biography is, Don't Stuff Your Dog. And so that grabbed my attention. I thought any book with a title like that, I gotta check it. And so I, I'm kind of looking through and here was the story. When he was eight years old, his little cocker spaniel died and it broke his heart. And his dad got the strange idea that if they bury the dog, he'll never get over it. So he said, tomorrow we're going to the taxidermist. And they took his dog to the taxidermist and had the dog mounted. They like stuffed his dog. 
So six weeks after taking it to the taxidermist, they bring it home and it's on a, he said it's on like a blue velvet board and it's like got the weirdest look on its face, a, a look he'd never seen and it just wigged him out. He's like, it was sitting in the living room and like guests would come over and see this animal. It's like finally they had to move it to the garage and then finally get rid of it. He said getting it back was worse than losing it the first time. Hello? And he said this, he said, don't make souvenirs out of tough memories. Oh, he said, don't take tough times and mount them on the mantle of your life. Tough times are going to shape us. They are part of it. But we could get stuck in the negative until it feeds into our spirit and our spirit becomes twisted and bitter. And we live angry because our pursuit was comfort and not Christ. But when our pursuit is Christ, then I'm even going to believe that in the tough times, God can use it because trials are joy under a sovereign God who's still working his purpose and is never caught by surprise and who never wastes an experience. I would say that we don't want to look for smooth water. There's going to be some white water. And we have to accept that and, and navigate that and not give up even if it's a lot of white water in life. I am intrigued by trapeze artists. I think they're just amazing. And it's interesting how if you watch them, inevitably they, they miss and they fall. But even in the fall, it's like graceful. It looks planned. It, it seems as part of the whole experience. And as I have listened to them on like the Discovery Channel talk, because you know the Discovery Channel is, is a preacher's dream. Great illustrations come from the Discovery Channel. And so these trapeze artists were talking and the trapeze artist says, when you learn that you can trust the net, then you no longer fear falling. Because you learn that in the falling, you can bounce back, you can get back up. I, I was raised on this kind of terminology. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I would say change that. What would you do if you knew you were going to fail? But that failure wasn't terminal. And that negative circumstances did not mean that your whole life is derailed and God has forgotten you. But that it's part of the process. That the strength is in the strength. That you're going to grow more in the tough times than the good times. That more spiritual food's probably going to grow in the lowest valley than on the top of the mountain. Have you ever seen these people that, that mount, finally they climb Mount Everest? Nothing is growing on the top of Everest. The food's in the valley. Thank God for the mountaintop. But you can't live on the... This is where we're nourished when life takes a dip. If we see it within the context of the whole of what God is doing... Then we can embrace adversity and say, Satan, I will not be defeated. I will grow and I will become better. Oh, that's, that's the winning attitude. That's what makes the difference. You know, I, I, I think it's possible in this process that we see in the life of Joseph, 
we could get into a fear cycle and we quit playing life to win, we play not to lose. Have you ever seen a sports team? They were in a game with a lot of aggression, passion. They, they were in attack mode doing well, but the momentum shifted and they quit playing the win. They started playing not to lose. Hesitant, withdrawn, and you hear the commentators go, there's been a momentum shift. You can tell they've, they've lost the passion. I want to tell you that can happen in life. We go through the, the negative and the negative, and then we start fearing tomorrow. What is tomorrow going to hold? And we quit playing to win. We play not to lose. We fear falling, and we forget that you can get back up, that you can bounce back. I want to tell you that in this life, what would happen if you anticipated that some adversity would come, but it is part of the process. A trapeze artists would fall into the net and just there was such a buoyancy and back they came and, and it was just dramatic. It was artistic. It was all part of it, you thought. They weren't trying to fall, but inevitably they will. And they learned that you don't have to fear falling when you know you can trust the net. The Bible talks about the anointing, and with this I will close. There is such an anointing of God. The, the Old Testament says it was like the dew on Mount Hermon that flowed down over Aaron's beard. And in the, the geography of the time, it's the anointing going from the highest place to the lowest place. And it was showing that at the lowest place, it had its greatest concentration, flowing all the way down to the Dead Sea. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea or been in the Dead Sea, here's the fascinating thing. You can't sink. I mean, you can dive in, you can jump in, but you cannot, you cannot go down. It just, there's such a concentration within the water that it keeps lifting you back up. The most amazing thing I have ever seen. You dive in the water, but it just lifts you. And that's what the Spirit of God used to try and, and articulate a component of the power of God. That the power of God is concentrated at the low place. The power of God is concentrated in these seasons. That when it feels that you're at your lowest and you're going to go down, there is the power of God that lifts you. It will not let you sink because faithful is he who started something who will also bring it to completion. God has not forgotten or or turned his back and said, oh no, while I was focused over here, look at, look at what's going on in my son's life, my daughter's life. No, he knows, but he is working a plan. He is working a process, and it's going to come out as amazing, as good, as effective, as awesome, as powerful, as influential. Don't give up. Don't give up. At the lowest place, there's a concentration of the anointing of God. Just like the trapeze artist that hits the net. And back up they come. And they keep their sense of adventure. Their willingness to risk. To swing out. To let go in order to take hold of that which will take them into the future. Don't you play not to lose. You keep playing to win. Like a coach, let me stand in front of you today and say. If you have said, ah, I'm scared of the game. Life hurts. And where is God when life hurts? All of the questions are flooding your mind. I would say that in the valley, be aware God is there. Like granite beneath you will be the foundation of the Lord. In the lowest valley, the psalmist talked about 
building a spring there because you can tap into the water quicker because you're already in a low place. You can tap the water quicker, the presence, the power, the love, the life, the strength of God that fills your heart so that you can pursue, pursue the dream, pursue the dream. Why don't you dust your dream off, apologize to your dream and say, I'm not giving up on the dream and get back into the flow of life and take a hold of what God has for you. What does he have for you? Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. My destiny is not something that I'll do. My destiny is what I'll become. And all that I do rises out of who I am because I don't reproduce what I say. I reproduce who I am. Here we are being influenced by Joseph because Joseph had a goal. There's a powerful verse in Psalms. Joseph was the writer. It says, he has turned my iron into gold. And he was reflecting on the the negative time when he was in the prison from the pit, slavery, Potiphar's house, false accusation, now in prison, finally, finally, second in command, living the dream, doing what God had put in his heart. And it's then that Joseph wrote, he has turned the iron into gold. The transformation occurred. Not each ingredient was good, but all things working together all things working together become good. He could have never been the man he was without all of these ingredients in his life. Faithful is he who started a good work in you, who will watch over it to complete it. If he's your goal, not comfort, but Christ, then, my brothers and sisters, when troubles come, you can consider it imperative command. You can consider it a verb of thought, great joy, because it's under the sovereignty of an almighty God who is making you what otherwise you can never be. Iron into gold, refining, making us shine like a star. Join me in prayer, if you will. I thank you, Lord, that through it all, through it all, You're working to perform your will. And my heart goes out to someone confused, trying to figure out the trouble of life rather than just set a goal of Christ-likeness. And if it's a tough day, then you can use it. If it's a good day, you can use it to fashion Christ, to form Christ in our hearts. Do a work today, Holy Spirit, that will leave us helped, encouraged, Let us look at this example of Joseph. With your eyes closed here in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to respond to the Lord, to respond in prayer. And if, if you have mounted a season of trouble on the mantle of your mind and you constantly focus on just the trouble and all of the anxiety it brought rather than the Christ likeness, the lessons, lessons learned, faithfulness of God discovered, and you want to adjust your focus from comfort to Christ. So you begin to trust his wisdom and rely on his resources. We're going to pray for that to, that to happen, that transaction, that change of thinking. If you can change the way you think, you can change the way you live. It's just that powerful. 
I've given you a way to see adversity, a way to embrace it and turn it into nutrients of someone who is growing in God.